the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Every single time, Jesus kind of comes back with a sharp response here. Now, in order to understand these three conversations, first thing we have to get is Jesus knows their hearts. Okay? He knows their hearts, and what we're going to see through Jesus' answer is an indication of something wrong in their hearts. So even though they seem to be saying very simple or fair things, the reality is there's something going on in their hearts that Jesus is going to expose by his answers. Guess what? God knows what's in your heart. You might think you're getting away with what you say and how you act around other people, but your Creator sees below the surface. Pastor Gary will share in his message today that you just can't hide anything from the Lord. He sees the motivation behind all you do. If there's something you think you've been hiding from God, come clean today. He's a loving and forgiving God who cares for you. You don't have to be afraid to come before your Heavenly Father. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We have to guard against the exclusivity of feeling like in any circle of Christianity, that feeling like, you know, we, we have the inside thing here, and we have the inside track on God, and, you know, we, we're that special group. No, 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 no. There, you know, listen, Jesus is challenging his own disciples here. Whoever is not against us is for us. Paul would talk in Philippians 1 about, you know, the challenge of, of in his day, ministries that were opposing him, yet they were doing some good things for the kingdom. And in Philippians 1.15, Paul would write, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And then he adds, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. That's very challenging. Because Paul is saying that, listen, there's going to be some... Pastors, there's going to be some churches that do what they do purely out of rivalry or selfish ambition or notoriety or whatever the cause may be. But as long as they're preaching Christ, Paul says, I rejoice that the gospel is going out, whether good motives are wrong, God's going to sort all that out. But let's not get this exclusive mentality because Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. Well, it gets worse. Verse 51 As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, in other words, you know, his imminent crucifixion and burial and resurrection here is impending here. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. If you have a King James Bible, it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And it literally, in the original language, means he had this 
this fierce determination. Jesus knew that the cross was before him. He knew that it would involve suffering. He knew the humiliation. He understood what what awaited him in Jerusalem. But he set his face. He was determined to go forward and to fulfill the will of the Father out of his love for a lost world. So he's determined here to set out for Jerusalem. And verse 52, And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, pause there. Let me explain. There's, there's great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans and Samaritans and Jews. And the reason is because historically, when you look back at uh, where all the fighting began, it basically was the result of when the Assyrian Empire came in the 700s B.C., besieged Jerusalem, the Assyrians did something where they would repatriotize a nation. In other words, when, when the Assyrians took over a nation, they would take some people captive back to Assyria, but then they would also bring in Assyrians to patriotize the new land that they had conquered. And the Assyrians then came, and as part of what they did, they took some Jews captive, but then they brought Assyrians in, and some of the Assyrians intermarried with some of the Jews. And the result of that intermarriage were the Samaritans. Now, the Jews, in in their prejudice towards the Samaritans, saw them, and I'm going to use a derogatory term, but this is how they saw them, as half-breeds. They saw them as not really belonging to us. You're not fully Jewish because you've intermarried and intermingled with the Assyrians, a pagan people. And so the Samaritans then were an exclusive group of people who embraced part of Scripture. They believed the first five books of the Old Testament, but they didn't embrace all of it. They had a disagreement about where the right place was to worship. Remember the story of the woman at the well, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans believed was the place to worship, and Jerusalem, the Jews believed, was the place to worship. And so there was this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Well, if you were living in the Galilee region, up to the north in Israel, and you have to go south to Jerusalem, The easiest route was to pass through Samaritan territory to get to Jerusalem. That's the quickest route, instead of going all the way around to to get into Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples are making the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. They say up to because it's a high holy place, even though you're going north to south. And they want to pass through Samaria, and so Jesus sends messengers ahead. Can we pass through? Samaritans are, no. You're going up to Jerusalem, you're those Jewish people, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And the disciples hear this, okay, and so read on now. So verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Classic. Jesus They won't give us lodging. How about we pray down fire from heaven and smoke them like a piece of toast? How about that? Let's just watch them smoke. No, Jesus says. No, no. Again, I'm just envisioning a little whisper prayer under his breath. Jesus is like, Father, are there anybody else here that you can send my way? These 12 numbskulls here, they are not getting it. It's amazing we're here tonight. I'm serious. They they would have just been killing everybody. Now, remember, again, the beginning of chapter 9, the Lord had given them power and authority. So, you know, they're probably, they're thinking Elijah. They're thinking Elijah praying down fire. They're thinking Elijah power. We just want to use a little power here. Come on, just let us use a little and smoke these people. 
And Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, now notice this, there's going to be three men here in three different conversations with Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you've ever read this story before in these conversations, you've probably thought to yourself, sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, for Jesus to be talking like this, I mean, I think these sound like goodwill people who want to follow him, and they just, all they want to do, you know, the one guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. The other guy says, well, let me just go back and bury my father first. And the other guy says, let me just first say goodbye to my family. And every single time, Jesus kind of comes back with a sharp response here. Now, in order to understand these three conversations, first thing we have to get is Jesus knows their hearts. Okay? He knows their hearts, and what we're going to see through Jesus' answer is an indication of something wrong in their hearts. So even though they seem to be saying very simple or fair things, the reality is there's something going on in their hearts that Jesus is going to expose by his answers. Okay, so that needs to be understood here. So we're going to look one by one at these three conversations. And for those of you who like to take notes, there's a couple of things I think that Jesus is teaching us about the cost of following him. And remember earlier also um, in chapter 9, verse 23, uh, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And Luke is the only out of the four Gospels that uses the word daily. There has to be a daily dying to self. There's a cost in following Jesus. And there just is. This, this easy believism does a disservice to people. And what I mean by that is the idea of just pray a simple prayer and come to know Jesus and the rest of your life's going to be wonderful and that's about it is just, it does a disservice to people because that isn't reality. Reality is you pray a prayer to receive Christ as your Savior and there will be a cost to that decision. It will cost you something. By the way, it'll never cost you anything compared to what it cost Jesus, okay? Everybody gets that. But it will cost you something. And this is important to understand. Because once you become a Christian, there is a cost involved. There is a certain sacrifice. There's a certain reality to this relationship. It can't compare to the cost that Christ paid. It will not compare to the sacrifice that He paid. But there is a cost and there is a dying to self here. And in following Christ, we have to understand a few things. And as life goes on and you experience, even after you come to know Christ, you experience difficulties and challenges and trials. If somebody told you the day you got saved, life's going to be just happily ever after, they're not giving you reality. Reality is, listen, you come to know Christ as your Savior, you're going to go to heaven. But now that you know Christ is your Savior, first of all, you're going to experience attacks from Satan like you never have before. Because when you were playing on his side of the army, he's going to leave you alone. You cross and you fight on the other side now, 
He's going to engage you in ways you've never been engaged before. There's going to be an element of spiritual warfare and attacks from the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that we cannot see, that you will not experience when you were not a believer, that you will now that you are. And you will still experience life's share of difficulties and trials and heartache. But the beauty is, though, that now in a relationship with Christ, you can deal with those difficulties and trials and heartaches in a way that you never could before because you have Christ as as your source and your strength. But Jesus is teaching us here, there's going to be a cost. And the first guy that he engages here, this guy, they're walking along the road. And it says, Luke says a man, Matthew's gospel in chapter 8, when he talks about this story, he says that it was a teacher of the law. King James says a scribe. So this guy was familiar with the scriptures. And he says to Jesus, he just volunteers, I will go with you. I will follow you wherever you go. Now, apparently from Jesus' answer, Jesus knew this guy didn't really mean that. Because Jesus answers, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So in other words, what Jesus is saying to him, and this is important to understand about the cost of following Jesus, there is an unknown and unpredictable element as a follower of Christ. What I mean by that is, Jesus is basically exposing this guy's heart, this guy saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus comes along and he says, I don't even know where my bed is tomorrow. Do you really mean that? Because if if you want to follow me where I'm going, there has to be a certain sense of flexibility and obedience as Jesus commands it. And this is important for us to recognize this. There has to be this, there's a spontaneity. You know, when I look at the ministry of Jesus and I see how he At different times he taught, at different times he was in a place of prayer, at other times he healed, and there were a few times that he raised the dead, and and he's going around constantly doing ministry, but he was constantly, he says in John's gospel, I don't say anything, but that the Father tells me what to say and how to say it, and he's always tuned in to the will of the Father, so that he can be at the pool of Bethesda, for example, and there's this multitude of sick people around the pool who want to be healed, and Jesus steps over many to go to the one that the Father directed him to go. He was always tuned in to the will of the Father. Heal this one, not right now this one. Say this, don't say this. Heal this person, not this person. And he was constantly tuned in to the will and the voice of the Father. And that is a part of following Christ. There's going to be times that he speaks to your heart. And he says, and he ministers to you, just kind of that still small voice. I want you to go share about me with your co-worker. You have, there's this unpredictable, this element right then, right there, that you have to just, I'll go wherever, I'll do whatever, whenever, that you tell me to do. And this guy apparently was not as eager to do what he said he was eager to do, because Jesus exposes it. Well, foxes have, have holes, b- birds of the air have nests. I don't even know where I'm going to lay my head tomorrow night. So you, you have to be a little more flexible and willing to depart from your own preconceived ideas and agendas and schedules and all of these, you know, have you you ever related to God that way where you just, you expect God to work a certain way, you think he's going to do a certain thing, and then God is never obligated to work within our little box, and when he goes outside the box, we don't know what to do with that. And so we we have to maintain this sense of, I, I don't always know, 
what tomorrow holds, and it's kind of unpredictable, but I want to be obedient, and I'm going to go wherever, whenever, however, and obey God. Everybody get this? That's one of the important costs of following him, just being that, that in that readiness to go wherever, whenever, however, as the Lord tells us, and we're going to be obedient to go and to do and to serve and to say all that he tells us to do, say, and serve. Then the other thing that we see here happening, here's, here's the second conversation. He says to another man in verse 59, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. That doesn't seem like to be an unreasonable request. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoa, that sounds so heartless. Wait, dad has just died here and, and, and you, you don't even let me go bury my dad. Here's the thing. Dad has not just died here. How do we know? The Jews practice a thing called sitting Shiva. And when somebody dies in a Jewish home, they have to be buried before sunset. That's still the case today in Israel. When a Jew dies, they have to be buried before sunset. The fact that this man is having a conversation with Jesus along the road means he's not sitting Shiva. You would sit Shiva when someone was near death because you'd be there just to sit there and just minister to them and love on them. He's not doing that. So dad is not near death. And if dad had died, he would be burying dad before sunset. The fact is, and we have to understand this from a Jewish mindset, that what he's really saying is, one day when my father dies, then I'll come follow you. When it's convenient. But first, you know, I'm just going to wait. And however long that is, before dad dies. This is why Jesus says to him, no, 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 listen. Let, and basically what he means is, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. There is, and this is an important cost, there is an urgency concerning the gospel. It is not later. It is now. And following Jesus means we don't put things off in serving him. We respond with an urgency because the gospel is an urgent message that needs to get out to people. And following Christ means we don't sit around and say, well, maybe one day, well, when I get this all figured out, and later in life, it means following him now. There's never going to be this perfect time. The perfect time is now. And everybody gets all calculating in their minds and, you know, tries to figure out, you know, and, and, you know, and some of you know what I'm talking about if you have kids. Because did you ever sit around first and go, well, let's, you know, what's the right time to have kids? And how are we going to afford this? And what about college tuition these days? And I don't you know. You start calculating that. You're never going to have a kid. You know what I'm saying? You start figuring out what it's going to mean, the expenses, the emotional toil, all of this kind of stuff that happens when, you know, you think about everything. You'll never have children. Just have kids. You don't necessarily need to be like the Duggars, but at least, you know, just get the move on. And so it is with, you know, following Jesus. Like, well, well I'll calculate everything, and when all, everything lines up perfectly, then I'll get serious. You'll never follow him if you wait for everything to get lined up. There's no greater time than, like, now. And this guy was wanting to put it off until later. The third guy comes along, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back. And say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And notice here that he, he likens following Christ to a farmer. 
And a farmer in plowing ground has to use all his strength, right? And has to keep his eye on an object ahead when he's plowing so that he can plow in a straight line. No farmer can like be plowing looking over his shoulder. You're going to have zigzag crops if you start to do that kind of a thing. And so he compares following him to the idea of a farmer. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to follow me with all your strength and you're going to have to look forward. In other words, you're going to have to fix your eyes on Jesus and you can't look back. In other words, following him means unwavering commitment because it, you can't be following Jesus with all your heart while you're still looking in the rearview mirror. You, you, know, you look at different times in the Bible at, at a few stories where people looked back, it never went well. Okay? You, you look at the story of like Lot's wife, Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, you know, the, the Lord sends angels to rescue Lot and his family out of Sodom before the Lord destroys and judges those twin cities. The Bible says you know, Lot and his wife they, uh, they start to, and daughters, they start to get up away from Sodom, and what does Mrs. Lot do? She looks back. And, and the idea in looking back is kind of like, oh, oh, I'm going to miss, oh, I'm going to, oh, those were good times, oh, oh, I just really, th- oh, that's, oh, and she's just kind of doing one of those numbers, and what does the Bible say? She turns to a pillar of salt, turns to a pillar of salt, okay, she becomes a salt lick for the deer in the area, just like that. And you know the rest of the, of the life of Lot and his daughters, every time they sit around the dinner table, and, you know, one says, hey, would you pass the salt? <sighs> Ah, man, what happened to mom? But uh, didn't work out very well for her, did it? Damus. Damus, in Colossians chapter 4, was a friend of Paul's, a traveling companion. But then later in 2 Timothy 4, Paul would write in verse 10, Damus, he loved this world, has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. Somebody who looked back again and it didn't work out for him. And Paul would say in Philippians 3, 13 to 14, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? I can't look back. I can't change anything of my past. I can't long for anything of my past. I am pressing on, going forward, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Let me tell you something. If you want to really be serious about the Lord, you cannot spend your life looking back. You have to look at Jesus and continue to, with all your strength and with your eyes fixed on him, move forward. Don't look back. There is a cost to this. And may we learn from the example of these three guys. There's no record whether any of them did what he said, and just followed him. Maybe some of these stories turned out better uh, than it looks on the pages here. But Jesus is still teaching us there's a cost. There's an unknown, unpredictable element, so be ready, be sensitive to the Spirit, do what God says to do, always be eager and willing to do whatever, whenever, however he tells you. There's an urgency to the gospel. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't try to figure out everything before you get serious about the Lord. And certainly, don't look back. Press on, forgetting what was behind. I press on to take hold of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to Himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in Him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But His death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know